Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, of course, part of the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing all the latest Arsenal news. We're going to be talking Declan Rice. We're going to explain what we believe to be the reason for the delay in the transfer being completed and Arsenal's uh, subsequent announcement. Of course, we're going to talk following Balogun. We're going to talk Sambi Lakonga. We're going to talk Takahiro Tomiyasu. Plus, we're going to spend some time, as always, taking your questions and thoughts from the live chat box. If you haven't done it already and you're a regular viewer, what are you waiting for? You know what's coming. Leave a like on the video and, of course, subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new. If you're listening to us on audio, then please do leave us a review as well. That really, really does help. And uh, without further ado, then, let's get into this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. How are we doing, people? How's it going? I uh, hope you're all well. I uh, hope you're all enjoying this Tuesday afternoon. And at the time of recording, still no announcements on timber or on rice. Although we expect the timber one, at least, to come sooner rather than later. Certainly within the next 48 hours, you'd imagine, um, given that Arsenal want to include him in the squad to face Nuremberg. Um, so we're going to have to sort of sit tight a little bit longer, it seems, at the moment. But as I said on yesterday's episode, I wouldn't be surprised if either Arsenal dropped the announcement during this live stream or decided to do it as soon as we finished. That is just the way my luck goes. That is the way it has gone for me throughout this transfer window so far. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was to be the case again. But the big one, Declan Rice, of course, uh, there is a um, there is. I don't want to say a concern about how long this is taking, because I think everybody knows that this is done. Everybody's feeling quite comfortable in that nothing's gone wrong and there are no hiccups and all the rest of it. But obviously, because of how long ago we heard the bid had been accepted or that the amount had been accepted. And then we heard, of course, that the negotiation around the structure of that payment had also been successful. To not have had an announcement for all of that time has left people feeling a little bit I don't want to say frustrated. I don't want to say agitated. I think it's just taken some of the enjoyment out of our marquee signing for the summer. I think that's the right way to put this. But anyway, we've been sort of racking our brains over the last few days as to why this has not been done yet. And there was a report on Sky Sports yesterday in which they said that the Arsenal lawyers uh, were yet to sign off on the contract, that they were just going through the wording of it. They were going through all the details around the structure of the payment and all the rest of it. And that when they got to that point, 
where they were totally satisfied. Both sides were ready to sign off and do the deal and that be that. Um, and off the back of that, a few other sources have, have sort of followed on uh, with similar uh, reports, similar suggestions uh, that there is still some dotting of I's to be done, some crossing of T's, all the rest of it. Uh, but again, nothing to worry about, nothing to be concerned about. Um, but it is taking a little bit longer than I'm sure we'd all have liked and hoped. Um, I said, said to you guys yesterday that Arsenal hope to have Declan Rice done and dusted in time for that trip out to the States, which they're leaving for on Sunday. The team, of course, currently out in Germany uh, preparing for that game against Nuremberg whilst going through a training camp. And we've seen some excellent videos coming out, uh, images, all the rest of it. It just looks like Arsenal is such a happy place to be at the moment. Now, I know a happy place doesn't guarantee it being a successful place, but I think we've talked a lot over the last couple of years about the need to rebuild the culture, about the need to really strip it all back, get the right characters in and to have someone at the helm that could breed the right culture moving forward to put Arsenal in the best possible position to be competitive and and to create that unity and alignment within the entire football club, not just within the group with the players, but, you know, within the ownership and and everybody that runs the club on a day-to-day -day basis, making sure all of those guys are aligned, making sure that the fans are on board and feeling good about the club, because that makes a massive difference, as I think we all saw and experienced last season. So the culture just feels so much better at Arsenal. And I, I tweeted earlier on saying, it was underneath one of the videos, I think, that Arsenal posted. And I said, look, I appreciate that this is just a glimpse behind the scenes because it was literally a 30-second clip, if that. But the mood within the camp just feels so positive all the time nowadays. The culture is back. And while there are many who deserve credit for the rebuilding of the culture and for the, the continuation of that culture moving forward and, and based on the period of time that we're talking about, Arteta is at the front and centre of it. And, and there's no question about that. His enthusiasm, his um, sort of drive, all of it is really, really infectious. And I think it's rubbed off uh, in the right way on a lot of people. And it's created a much healthier environment at Arsenal Football Club. And you need to give him his credit for that. You need to give him his flowers for that. A lot of people were, were anti-Arteta at the beginning. A lot of people maybe couldn't see what it was that Mikel Arteta was bringing to the table, why it was that the ownership was so adamant on making him the manager and why, following on from that, they were willing to give him the kind of spend that they wouldn't give to previous managers. Not Arsene Wenger towards the back end of his career. I know the circumstances around the ownership at that point were a little bit different, but Unai Emery as well. You know, we're now in a place where there is so much trust within the football club and, and Mikel Arteta is, is the architect of all of this. Um, you know, he's, he's the architect, he's the, the builder, he's everything. Um, and he's so, so key to where this club finds itself at this moment in time. Um, we'll get on to questions a little bit later on in the show. We've got a few subjects to discuss, as I mentioned, uh, I've brought you up to speed with the Declan Rice thing. Um, so as far as we understand, the paperwork is currently with Arsenal's legal team who are just going through it. Uh, with a fine tooth comb, I think for the final time, uh, as we said, they'll be dotting the I's, crossing the T's, making sure that everything is to their satisfaction. But we also understand that both sides now are ready to sign this deal and get it done and dusted. Declan Rice is on holiday at the moment. We don't know 100% if he has done his media duties with the club just yet, or if um, that is still to be done, which could delay the announcement a little bit longer as well. 
which I know is not what people want to hear, but it could be the reality. We don't know how much, if any, of the medical has been completed, um, although you'd assume that some of that's been done. Um, you know, so yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. We're going to just have to hold tight on this one, but it is uh, moving in the right direction. So don't stress about it. I understand that it's taking the gloss off of the whole thing. I feel that way too, but it's not something to stress about. Uh, so we're going to talk um, a little bit more uh, about some of our other players as well. We're going to talk Lakonga. Uh, we're going to talk following Balligan. We're going to talk Takahiro Tomiyasu. And I'm going to let you guys know how you can support the Chronicles of Aguna podcast moving forward to provide you with more content and get access yourself to more content as well. Uh, let's just quickly take uh, this uh, super chat from uh, our good friend uh, Lorcan, who is in the chat, who says, would you be happy uh, with finishing second and the Carabao Cup? I wouldn't take that now going into the season because I feel like Arsenal can achieve more. Like I'd rather go to a Champions League semi-final than win a Carabao Cup. I genuinely mean that. I know people say it's, it's all about trophies and nothing else really matters, but I really do feel like that. If you offered me the opportunity to get to a Champions League semi-final or win the Carabao Cup, I'd genuinely take the Champions League semi-final. Of course, I want Arsenal to finish at a minimum of second, given that's where we've just finished. You know, you want to build on that. You want to move forward. Um, you always want to uh, progress to the next level. That's how it goes. The next level is is first, but it's not always necessarily a straightforward jump. Just because you finished second last season doesn't guarantee that you're going to finish A, finish second again, and B, be able to make that jump from second to first with any ease. We're up against a Manchester City side who we've talked about time and time again as being one of the best club sides ever. Now, how they got to that point is up for discussion. And, and we know that there's a lot of speculation around that. And that is, of course, because of the outstanding charges um, that are yet to be resolved between themselves and the Premier League. But, um, you know, we're just going to have to focus on ourselves. That's all we can do. Focus on improving the team, on building it, on continuing the development of the football club back towards what this football club has always been, which is a great football club. But at times, you have to say in recent history, just lost its way ever so slightly. So that's uh, the latest on the Declan Rice news. I, I don't really know what the delay is with Yuri and Timber. I have to say that I don't have any information on why that is taking so long. Uh, but as was reported yesterday and as we mentioned on yesterday's episode, there is a hope um, that Arsenal will get him in in time for that game against Nuremberg on Thursday so that he can play some part in the squad, which suggests that if Arsenal briefing that they're confident that can happen, that this isn't far away. Um, not sure, again, what the reason is for us not getting that announcement. Maybe we'll get it today. Who knows? Uh, but just sit tight on that one as well. Yuri and Timber will be a gooner, so don't worry about that one uh, either. Right, let's talk uh, Sambi Lakonga, who many have uh, spoken about this summer as one of the players that Arsenal could potentially let go. He did go out on loan uh, last season to Crystal Palace. Well, I thought he did OK. Um, I commentated on a couple of Crystal Palace games uh, for BBC London. Uh, one of them was the game against Manchester City, a game that we were hoping Palace would do us a major favour in. Uh, but they weren't able to do it, unfortunately. But I thought Lekonga gave a pretty good account of himself that day. Um, I really, really do. And, you know, it's good to see Lekonga going out there and playing football. Because I remember when we bought him in, I remember looking at him during his time at Anderlecht and thinking... This is a guy who is technically really, really sound, is really, really confident in his ability, is so comfortable in dropping in between uh, centre-halves, 
picking up the ball, turning into spaces, looking up, progressing the ball through the lines, through passes left and right. Really, really confident young lad. And when he came to Arsenal, he started like that. He looked like someone who you know, knew that he was good enough to play at this level and really, really believed in himself. But as time went on and he had a couple of indifferent performances, I think his confidence took a serious, serious hit. And unfortunately, I don't think he was able to recover from that at Arsenal, partly because, you know, maybe it was such a big hit and and maybe, you know, he wasn't used to the, the pressures that come with playing for a club like Arsenal. Maybe the, the issue around his position, is he a six or is he an eight? I think that kind of blurred the lines with regards to what he was going to do and what his role was going to be. I remember asking Mikel, I think, a question in a press conference during last season. And he said to me, look, the plan for Lokonga was was one thing and that slightly changed after last preseason. So, you know, there's been uncertainty around what his best role is, which doesn't help, obviously. Um, and uh, and also the fact that he wasn't getting any regular game time at Arsenal caused him to take a couple of steps backwards, maybe. Uh, so he went out to Crystal Palace, got a bit of confidence. Um, and I think that there is still a player in there. That's one that I'm not willing to give up on at this moment. Although I still think a loan for Lokonga would probably be the best solution uh, right now. He's not gone to Germany. And obviously him not being spotted in any of the pictures or videos of the team getting prepared for that trip and then, of course, making that trip sparked loads and loads of speculation, as that kind of thing does, with regards to how close he is to a potential exit. Uh, the truth is that he's not close to an exit at all. We know that there are a couple of clubs that are interested in him. We know that the Burnley link uh, is there because of uh, Vincent Company, who was rumoured to have recommended him to Arsenal as a really good signing, having worked with him during his time in Belgium. Um, and Burnley will be looking to strengthen their squad, I'm sure. But the position that we're in right now is one whereby Sambi Lekonga is not close to leaving this football club. The reason he's not gone on that trip, as he confirmed on social media yesterday, is because he has picked up a muscular injury. And so he is staying behind uh, at London Colney to be put through his paces to work on that with the doctors and the right people so that he can be fit and ready uh, to jump into the rest of our preseason and uh, help the team show what he can do. He's got another opportunity to impress Mikel Arteta. And if he doesn't manage to do that, then I'm sure there'll be other suitors out there uh, looking to take him on. So that's the latest on Sambi Lekonga. The reason he's not on the trip to Germany is not because he has signed elsewhere or anything like that. It's because he's picked up an injury, as was confirmed by the player himself. Let's take it on to another player that's been heavily linked with a move away from Arsenal this summer. And that is, of course, following Balogun, uh, the young striker who spent last season out on loan in France and impressed has been the subject of lots of transfer speculation during the summer so far. Um, look, I think for me, looking at him prior to the loan move uh, out to France, I thought this is a guy who's got potential. Everybody keeps telling me about how much potential he's got and everybody keeps talking about how excited they are by what he could become. But I wasn't convinced of it just yet. And I'm still not 100% convinced because I still think that if you go to a league like Ligue 1 and you score goals, great. That's an achievement in itself. And you deserve a lot of praise for that, particularly being so young and particularly having played so little regular football in one of Europe's top leagues in the past. 
I give him his dues. He deserves it. He's been absolutely magnificent. But that doesn't necessarily translate into Premier League goals, as we've seen. I'll give you a really, really good example of that now. You know, you look at Alexander Lacazette, okay, who spent a number of years at Arsenal Football Club, was signed for big money. A lot of us thought he was the solution at centre-forward. And the truth is, for Arsenal, he just didn't score enough goals. Uh, That's the reality of it. 32 years old, got to a point where he just wasn't, you know, finding the back of the net enough. The link-up play was great. The... The work ethic was great. The leadership was admirable. All of that stuff was there with Alexander Lacazette, but we weren't getting the goals out of him. It felt like we had kind of passed him by in terms of our level because our level was increasing under Mikel Arteta, albeit slowly at the beginning. And it felt like Alexander Lacazette was on the decline. But the reason I bring Lacazette up is because last season in Ligue 1, having played 35 times for Lyon, He scored 27 goals and provided five assists. That is 32 direct goal contributions from Alexander Lacazette in 35 league games. This is the same Alexander Lacazette that couldn't cut it at Arsenal when it came to goal scoring. Didn't have the legs necessarily to uh, continue playing the lone striker role, uh, to continue playing what we now call the Gabriel Jesus role. Wasn't as dynamic as him, wasn't as mobile as him, all the rest of it. But he's gone back to France and all of a sudden he's a world beater again. And the point I'm trying to make here is that not that we shouldn't give Balogun a chance, not that we should take away from what he's achieved during last season and how well he did. But the point I'm simply making is that goals in Ligue 1 do not always necessarily translate into goals in the Premier League. So for me, when it comes to Balogun on a personal level, the jury is still somewhat out. Now, it's up to Mikel Arteta now and the coaching staff to make a really good assessment of following Balogun for as long as they have him during pre-season to then take a decision with regards to what his future holds. He has said in the past that he doesn't want to go out on loan again. Okay, he doesn't want that. He wants a home. He wants to be settled down. Arsenal, if they do decide that he's the right man for them and, and someone that they want to keep, will have to do some convincing because I'm sure following Balogun will want some guarantees around his playing time. Where does he fit into the picture at Arsenal? This is the big question at the moment. Does he fit in just behind Gabriel Jesus in terms of the central striker pecking order? Does he fall behind Eddie Nketiah, which will put him in third place? Does he even fall behind Kai Havertz, who we think is being brought in to play as a midfielder, but obviously has spent the last couple of seasons or so playing as a centre-forward? So, This is the big question now. And Mikel Arteta is going to have to watch him, assess him, spend some time with him over pre-season and decide where he fits into the picture. Now, if he fits anywhere below second place in the striker um, discussion, then I think there's a case to sell him. And that is because, you know, we are spending a lot of money. And I still think Arsenal will spend more money, by the way, between now and the end of the window. But there will be a need to, at some point, balance the salaries, balance the the sort of income versus the expenditure, all of the rest of it. As much as people say Arsenal are backing Arteta and all the rest of it, yeah, they are, and it's great and it's brilliant, but there will be that point, and I keep saying this, and I keep getting shot down for it, but it's the truth. There will come that point where there needs to be that balance. So I'm not saying that I know where Balogun fits into the picture right now. I'm not saying that he should be ahead of Enketia. I'm not saying that he shouldn't. The truth is, I don't really know. And I think that this is why 
for following Balogun pre-season is so important because it gives Mikel Arteta an opportunity to assess exactly where he is in comparison to his peers at Arsenal Football Club. There's no point in being laser focused on what he did in France. Obviously, that's a big tick in the pro column for following Balogun. And obviously, that's something that has to be factored in. But I would make the case that I think Eddie Nketiah would score 20 goals as well if you sent him to play in Ligue 1. So that's the that's the the predicament that we have here now. And that's the dilemma that Mikel Arteta has. How does that form translate? And where does following Balogun fit into the picture? Now, if we do decide to sell him, he is one of our more sellable assets because of the fact that he's coming off of the back of a really positive season, because of the fact that everybody knows he's looking for a home and, you know, Arsenal looking at his age and all the rest of it. And I keep talking about that commercial value that he so clearly holds being uh, the US men's national team centre forward. Arsenal will look at this and think, yeah, you know what? Um, maybe we should uh, cash in or, or we could at least, if we do decide to do that, get a reasonable amount of money, the kind of amount of money that makes a difference, basically. We understand uh, that there are a number of clubs on the continent interested in following Balogun. One of them um, is said to be AC Milan, who are, of course, uh, looking to strengthen their squad, having just lost Sandro Tonali to Newcastle United. Now, I know that they don't play in the same position, and I know that Milan would need to address the midfield area as well, you would feel. But ever since uh, the Sandro Tonali deal to Newcastle was completed, there's been more and more talk about AC Milan potentially making a move for following Balogun. I think he would do great in Serie A. I really, really do. I think he'd do brilliantly. And a club like AC Milan, whatever you say about this current state of Italian football, will always have a pull. They are truly a European giant. Champions League semi-finalists last season and, um, and Scudetto winners uh, this season before. So that's a place where you can go and win things. It's a place where you'll be loved, you'll be adored, you'll be well-revered if you go there and perform. So if I were a footballer and I were in Balogun's position, AC Milan would appeal to me. The question is, will Milan go as far as Arsenal's rumoured £50 million asking price for following Balogun? And the truth is, I don't think they would. I don't think Arsenal would get £50 million sterling uh, for uh, following Balogun. I just don't. I know uh, some people would disagree with that. I know others uh, will agree with it. For me, it, it just doesn't feel realistic. It doesn't feel um, like the kind of money we can actually get. And it feels a bit like the whole, uh, you know, Chelsea with Kai Havertz thing. Well, we'll ask for 70, knowing full well we're not going to get 70. But if we can push the club into going as close to that mark as possible to get the deal done, then we obviously benefit from that. So, um, yeah, I don't think we get that kind of money from Italy, but I don't think we get that money from anywhere else either. I think if it's just about money, then you want to sell to a Premier League club, don't you? Because nobody else, as we've talked about so much in recent episodes, has the same financial muscle and the same financial clout to be able to do those deals. So we're going to have to wait and see um, how that goes and, and how that pans out. But at this moment in time, um, we are in a position where I, I think... You know, there's no panic around Balogun. Let's assess him now. Mikel Arteta's got him there with him. Um, let's take him to the US tour. I think he's due to take part in some of the MLS All-Star skill challenges. Again, Arsenal making sure that they maximise the commercial opportunity with someone like Balogun and his, obviously, relationship with the US national team. So, yeah, we're going to have to uh, wait and see how this goes. But 
more and more reports, more and more talk of AC Milan's interest in following Balogun becoming, and I'm going to use the buzzword of the window, concrete. Uh, so, yeah, um, we'll have to see, of course, uh, how that ends up. Another player I wanted to talk about, um, and we're going to talk about just after a very, very short break, is Takahiro Tomiyasu. A lot of debate going around on Twitter uh, about this man. Um, I kind of chipped in with my two pence on it uh, yesterday as well. Got lots of responses to my tweet. So I want to just go through that, share some of them with you, and we can have uh, a good chat about the Japanese international defender. But before uh, we do that, we're going to take a very, very short pause. Listen, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a matter of seconds. Uh, so don't go anywhere. Please do like the video if you haven't done so already. We've only got 85 likes on the board, but there's about 500 of you with me live right now across the multiple platforms. Subscribe to the channel as well. If you haven't done so already and you're joining us on YouTube as we continue to push towards the 30,000 mark, um, that's the kind of milestone that I would have dreamed of uh, three years ago. So to be well on our way to that is, is really amazing. I'm so humbled and thankful to every single one of you. If you are listening on audio, leave a review. You know the drill by now. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. We're going to talk Takahiro Tomiyasu before tackling some of you guys' questions from the live chat. Okay, let's talk Takahiro Tomiyasu. Uh, first of all, I'm going to just bring up the tweet that I put out yesterday, uh, which kind of it didn't spark the debate because the debate was ongoing, but it was me basically sharing with you guys my view on the Japanese international and and sort of how I see things at the moment because that we, we really missed him um, at the back end of last season because... We were without Saliba as well, and, and we've said it time and time again. Had he been available at the time that William Saliba was out, we probably would have been okay because we'd have been able to tuck Ben White inside. And tucking Ben White inside would have meant that we were playing with a centre-half equally as comfortable on the ball as William Saliba, probably you know, equally as physical, equally as good in the air, uh, all the rest of it, you know, all right, William Saliba is an all-round centre-half. I think people will look at him now and say that he's better than Ben White. I'm not sure I want to make that assessment based on one season, but Ben White is a very, very good centre-half and had a really, really good season the season prior. So to to have lost Tommy Asu at the same time we lost Saliba was a big, big blow for Arsenal. Yes, Tommy Asu's back training with the team and all the rest of it, but this feels like a really, really big season for the Japanese defender because whatever way you look at it, you, you can't help but feel a little bit let down over the last couple of seasons due to his fitness record and how poor that has been. Now, I know that some of that's down to luck. Some of that's down to circumstance. Not all of that is down to him and you shouldn't beat someone over the head for picking up injuries. You know, it can happen to anyone. But it brought on the debate around or the discussion around Tommy Asu because he's back in training and all the rest of it sparked quite a big debate around what the defence is going to look like next season. We think that Yuri and Timber is about to come in as well. Where does he fit into the picture? Um, you know, and I saw a lot of people sort of tweeting things to the sort of to the tune of, well, Tommy Asu comes back. Tommy Asu becomes the right back again. That's that. Or Tommy Asu competes with Timber for it and Ben White competes with Saliba for centre-back. And I just don't think it's that cut and dry. I think Mikel Arteta's got a lot of decisions to make. I think the, the main thing here is 
that we have options and we're going to need to utilize those options uh, to be able to rotate effectively, something that we couldn't do last season, if we're being completely honest. Uh, and so this is what I tweeted about um, the Tommy Asu slash Ben White debate last night. I said, I personally prefer White at right back over Tommy Asu. There's no doubt Tommy is a valuable member of the squad, but for me, there are aspects of his game that he lacks in, in comparison to Ben White. So let me just explain that part first. What are these aspects of his game in which he lacks in? So I think he's less comfortable on the ball. I think technically Ben White is at a higher level than Takahiro Tomiyasu. Is he as quick across the ground in a sprint? Maybe not. Is he as strong as Tomiyasu? Maybe not. But for me, I think that Ben White, with the ball at his feet, is a is a better footballer. I think he breaks the lines better. I think he can look a little bit casual at times, Ben White, where he just sort of puts his foot on the ball and just slows everything down. And sometimes that frustrates me, but he is looking for the right pass. I think his understanding with Bukayo Saka is better than that of Takahiro Tomiyasu. And um, and I think so in possession, I, I quite like the idea of Ben White playing ahead of him. And actually, I didn't think last season when White started the campaign at right back because Tomiyasu was injured and obviously had to finish it because Tomiyasu was still injured or was injured again. I don't think at any point did I look at it and go, I miss Tomiyasu here, which tells me that Ben White was doing as good as, if not a better job. I think he was doing a better job if I'm going to sort of really sort of go in here with my opinion. Then I went on to say the even bigger concern, though, with Tomiyasu is around his fitness. He's missed 24 games in two seasons. Fingers crossed he can put his injury problems behind him. 24 games in two seasons is a lot of matches to miss. And we talk about this a lot, don't we? Availability is the best ability. You know, if you're not available, you're no good to anybody. And Tommy Asu, unfortunately, for me, when it comes to fitness, is kind of in the last chance saloon now. I think he's got loads to offer. I think his versatility across the back line is immense and a, a real, real positive and something that we're so lucky to have within the squad. At times, he filled in at left back last season. He played right back. We know that he can play centre back. I've even seen suggestions from some on social media that he should play in midfield. Now, I personally wouldn't go that far, but he does have the versatility that you need uh, to be able to to shift your shape at times, to be able to rotate when is necessary and all the rest of it. So a really good asset to the squad, a valuable member of the squad, but he's not ahead of Ben White for me. And where I have no doubt about his use to the squad and, and no doubt about the fact that he has a place at Arsenal, I do have serious doubts around his ability to stay fit. And that, for me, is going to really be under a lot of scrutiny this season. I'm going to be watching him really, really closely and hoping that he can stay fit so that he can, A, compete for a place for his own good, but B, can support the squad at the times when we really, really need it. Because it's felt like over the last couple of seasons when we've needed him, and again, I know this is not down to his necessarily just down to him or, or his fault or something that he can even control to a degree, but it is something that's really, really killed us on a couple of occasions. And if this is going to continue, then there will come a point where you have to look elsewhere and you have to look for players that can stay fit. Um, you know, players that can, um, you know, can offer you something all the time. And um, unfortunately, Tommy Asu's not been able to do that. Okay. Um, let's take some of you guys' thoughts uh, on this. Um, 
I'd love to hear from you guys. So let me know your thoughts on Tommy Asu. We'll do some questions in a minute, but I feel like this is the the conversation we've had today that's probably sparked the most interaction uh, in the chat box. Uh, going back to last season, Tony Fulbrook says, maybe Arteta should have switched holding to right back and white inside. Holdings played right back before, just a thought. Personally, I don't think Mikel got it wrong because I don't think that, um, you know, that Rob Holding could have done the job at right back. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. I, I don't think he's got that mobility to play that role. And I think it would have impacted us in the build-up as well, in the way that we like to attack. And so that was a no-go for me. If I'm being ultra-critical of Mikel Arteta, then the thing I would have done was bring Jakob Kivior into the picture sooner. But when we got glimpses of Kivior prior to that, he didn't look quite at it yet. And Mikel Arteta did go on to say, maybe he's protected himself to a degree as well when he said this, but he did say that I didn't feel like he was ready. You know, he, he hadn't quite settled in yet. The language barrier was a bit of an issue still at that point and all the rest of it, although I thought Kivio's English was fine. But basically, Mikel Arteta kind of alluded to the fact that maybe, in his opinion, Jakob Kivio wasn't ready to just come into the team at a real high pressure point in the season. And although... Rob Holding's limited in in a lot of his sort of attributes. He does have that experience of playing in the Premier League, knows the football club, knows the players around him, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's ultra critical to really stick the boot in on Mikel for, for not or, or for going with Holding at centre-back initially and leaving White at right-back. But um, I can understand why people think you might he might have done it differently. But I will always say this, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Uh, Howard says, uh, Tommy Asu is a pure defender, but his injury history is a problem. Let's give him another year. Uh, why are Arsenal still holding on to the chief pinch warmer? Um, El Nenny. Well, look, I, I, we know why El Nenny got the new contract. El Nenny got the new contract because he picked up that injury and the club didn't want to leave him out in the cold uh, with a serious injury and no football club. I, I think that's the right thing to do for someone who's been a servant to your club for so long, as long as it doesn't hinder you in doing other business. I understand, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I did hear around that time that El Nini had taken a pay cut to get that new contract, just to give him somewhere to to go through his rehab and all the rest of it. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if El Nini left before the end of the window. Um, but yeah, um, look, Tommy Asu's injury history is an issue. I will give him another year. I'm not sitting here saying that we should sell him now. But I do think this is a really, really big year for him because he needs to prove a few things to a few people. Um, Raphael Lim says, hi, Harry. Trust you well. I'm good. Thanks, mate. I hope you're good, too. He says, as always, uh, today's show uh, is a great one. Just one question. How do you schedule your show? I'm trying to figure it out, uh, the pattern of timing on your shows. So in an ideal world, I'd like to stick to a regular time. And I've said this to you guys before I said it sort of towards the back end of last season. And we went through a bit of time where we would do it at 4 p.m. every weekday, regardless of what I had going on, which meant that sometimes they were pre-recs, uh, pre-recorded episodes. But during the transfer window, I just feel like I need to be a bit more reactive than that. And we can't be stuck to a rigid schedule. Um, obviously, as you guys know, I sort of have a lot of other work commitments as well. Um which do limit me in my ability to kind of stick to a schedule at certain points. Uh, so there isn't really a schedule right now. And we'd like to get into one 
that's a little bit more structured going into the new season. But the truth is, if I'm being honest with you, I've tried to keep to a specific schedule and I just can't do it because I might get a call. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll get or, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll get a call from another outlet saying, can you do this at this time? And as a freelancer, you got to do that. You know, sometimes I'll get um, sometimes I'll get a call on a, I don't know, Monday saying, can you come in and work at TalkSport on Tuesday? So my schedule is always changing and always evolving. And it's really, really difficult to have that specific time every single day. Uh, so at the moment, there isn't a specific schedule. Um, we'll try and get as close to one as we possibly can. But all I would say is keep your notifications on. I apologize if it causes anybody any issues. Um, and I know it's not ideal, but it's just the reality of, of my work situation at the moment. Um, but obviously, I appreciate uh, you guys tuning in at whatever time. And there's always catch up as well. Um, but thank you, mate. Um, really appreciate the question. Uh, what else have we got on this? Boston says Tommy's too slow. I, I don't think he's too slow. That's not the kind of criticism I would throw his way. I don't think he's slow at all. Um, I think he's really quick. I think he's really physical. I think he's really powerful in in his running once he gets going. Maybe he's not the sharpest over the first five, six yards, but there's a lot of players like that that need to get into their stride. He's a big guy. He's got big, long legs, powerful uh, in his sprinting. So, no, that's not a concern for me, really. Um, Amberly says uh, versatility, unfortunately, uh, doesn't count for much if you're not fit. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, what else we got? I've seen a few of you sort of suggesting that I'm uh, picking on Tomiyasu. Habs Gunner uh, says, why do you pick on Tomiyasu? He wasn't the only one injured. Correct. He wasn't the only one injured. Um, and there are other players that I would say the same thing about. Thomas Partey is someone whose injuries have let us down. And these injuries seem to happen far too frequently. Um, the William Saliba thing, uh, he was fit pretty much all season with the exception of that period at the end of the campaign. So I can't yet sit here and say that his fitness is an issue. Uh, Zinchenko was a player whose fitness drove me bonkers last season as well. Um, Tommy Asu is not the only one. The reason we're talking about Tommy Asu today is because off the back of the club, posting some pictures of him back in training and obviously uh, on the uh, the preseason camp in Germany, there was a lot of debate on social media around what his role will be next season. And that's why we're talking about him today. It's not because I think he's the only one um, that, that has picked up injuries. It's not because I wish to discredit him in any way. I, I just feel like he is the, the topic uh, that was being most discussed yesterday off the back of those new images coming out. And, and I felt that we should talk about it on this edition of the show. Those that know me and those that have listened to this for a long time know that I don't pick on players. I don't go after individuals. I am, I try to be as fair in my analysis as possible. And if anything, people say that I'm too pro Arsenal. And some of you, someone tweeted me this morning saying um, that I'm on the payroll again, you know, got that one a million and one time. If I had a pound for every time someone said I'm on the Arsenal payroll over the last two years, my God, I'd have been retired. I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere uh, in the Bahamas or whatever. Uh, Jovan makes a really good point. I like this. He says, I think Tommy is our new standard of squad player, and I'm okay with that. I agree with that. If that is your standard of squad player, then you're in a great position. And it highlights how much better the squad is today 
than it was, you know, 18, 24 months ago. But that needs to improve further because there are other areas in the side that we need to improve that on. So, for example, Rob Holding was a squad player, but when he came in, he wasn't good enough. So for me, you improve on that by bringing in somebody like Urien Timber, who I expect to come in and be an upgrade. And obviously can play centre-back, but can play right-back, which frees up Ben White, which frees up Tommy Asu if you need that as well. So yeah, we're, we're, we're not just raising the level of the 11. We're trying to raise the level of the squad as well. And, and I agree with that comment from Jovan. It's a really good one. Um, what else? Uh, MM makes a really good point. He says, uh, Tommy's skill set can be used in the Champions League because 1v1 defending is a must almost. He's almost our Akanji. I agree that in one-on-one -on -one defending, Tommy Asu is really, really good. A lot of people have talked about the versatility point, which we, we keep discussing. And many have referred back to that home game against Liverpool where he did a really, really good job on Mo Salah playing at left-back. That was a selection that surprised a lot of us prior to kickoff. I remember sitting there thinking, what does that say to Kieran Tierney? But he was put in there to do a specific role, which was try and keep Mo Salah quiet, which he did for the most part to really, really good effect. So I think as a one-on-one -on -one defender, he's excellent and we know he can do that job. But what I will say is there were other games where he played at left back last season and it didn't work out. Leads away, I remember being maybe the worst game I've seen Tommy Asu play in an Arsenal shirt. He was really, really poor that day playing at left back. And um, and, and so I don't think that that is a, a thing that you want to actively use all the time. I think there will be certain games where it's a, a good idea. We talk about horses for courses, but I don't think that Tommy Asu played at left back that day because Mikel Arteta really believed in his ability to play left back. For example, if that was today, I think that Jakub Kivior would play there instead of Tommy Asu because he's left-footed and he'd naturally be more comfortable in doing that. I think the idea behind putting Tommy Asu there was his aerial ability makes it difficult for teams to just drop balls over the top of the fullback like they might have done to a Zinchenko or a Tierney if our opponent wanted to be that little bit more direct. So I think Tommy's physicality was what convinced Mikel Arteta that he should play there. Um, and, uh, and, and that was something that worked on the day, but I don't think worked at other points when he played there as well. So yeah, jury's still out for me on that one. Right. Let's take some more of your questions. They can be about anything. They don't have to be about Takira, Tommy Asu, whatever you want, uh, get them in. Uh, let's get through as many of them as we possibly can between now and the end of this episode of the podcast. Going to take a very, very short pause while you do that. Um, but if I could just ask you again, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Subscribe uh, to the channel if you're brand spanking new. Can we get to 200 likes between now um, and the end of the, se uh, end of the season, end of the video? That would be amazing. Like, subscribe, all the rest of it. Uh, if you're listening on audio as well, then please do leave us a review. But I do uh, want to point you in the direction of just a couple of things. Uh, before we uh, before we continue uh, on our podcast journey this afternoon, we are live on YouTube uh, right now. Um, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Let's have a quick look. Here we go. This is what I wanted to share with you guys. Remember, uh, you can uh, tune in to the Chronicles uh, of Aguna membership content as well, which is exclusive 
to our members over on the Another Slice platform. So if you go over to www.anotherslice.com forward slash Chronicles of Aguna, the link is in the description below and you subscribe for £5 per month, you'll get access to more of our content, more podcasts, podcasts specifically made uh, for our members. And there's a couple of bits uh, dropping each week at the moment on there. Um, we've got a really cool one uh, dropping in the next couple of days. I was going to release it last week, but I managed to get a couple more people uh, to participate in it. So I just need to piece that together. But if you go over uh, to the Another Slice platform and sign up, you'd be supporting me to bring you more content. And when I said earlier on that my schedule sometimes means uh, that I have to um, that I have to change things around and that, um, you know, that irritates people. The more members we have and the more support of the podcast we have, the more I'm able to turn away other work and focus uh, solely uh, on this. So, um, yeah, check it out uh, if you haven't done so already. Also, you can visit uh, the Chronicles of Aguna.com as well. Um, our website, uh, which is now live, uh, will be bringing you news. Um, we'll be bringing you views, all the rest of it. But if you want to check that out, the chronicles of Aguna.com, uh, you'll be able to access uh, some news and opinion pieces uh, coming your way. We'll be upping the regularity of those uh, very, very soon as well. Here's a little glimpse of it. Uh, the chronicles of Aguna.com. So do check that out as well if you haven't done so already. And we put piece out the other day uh, talking about William Saliba's announcement. Right, let's get some of your questions in then from the live chat. What have we got here? Um, let's go. Matt G says, Harry, what do you think? Arteta playing Partey at right back towards the end of the season? Or do you think that gives us any insight on our formation? I'm not sure. Um, I found that really difficult to read at the time because there was a part of me that thought, yeah, um, this is a sign of what's to come. Was he trying something? I think he was trying something. I think he was looking at ways in which he could, um, you know, just shift the shape a little bit. And and the fact that someone like Thomas Partey could tuck into midfield uh, from that fullback position, he didn't really work that day. We were rubbish uh, that day against Forest. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to read into it too much because the only time prior to that that, Thomas Partey played at right back was in like the last 10 minutes of a home game. I remember uh, that we were winning and he put Partey at right back and, and sort of bought, I think Jorginho on in midfield or something along those lines. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure is the answer to that. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think he's definitely doing this or that on that basis. I, I in truth, I just don't know. Um, was he having a look at Thomas Partey or was he having a look at a different system? I guess that's what you've got to kind of figure out to know where to start on this one. Um, but yeah, no, at the moment, mate, I don't know. But it's something to keep an eye on in preseason for sure. Afsar says, I'm worried about our inability to sell players. What's your opinion? Um, look, I think we're getting better at it. I mean, we managed to get 20 odd million for Granite Xhaka, which seemed impossible. You know, <laughs> a few weeks prior where we thought that 13 million was the top whack we were going to get. So Arsenal obviously negotiated well to, to get that done. And I just think with players like Lokonga, who we've talked about as someone who could potentially exit players like Rob Holding players like Nuno Tavares, everybody knows that we don't really, maybe this is an assumption, but everybody knows that they're players that we'd be open to moving on. And therefore, there probably isn't that much urgency 
for a buying club to really want to wrap this deal up quickly. What a lot of these clubs will do, and I've said this to you guys in previous windows before, is they'll look at the team and they'll go, okay, so they want to move Tavares out. Right now they're asking for £20 million, but they definitely want to move Tavares out. And Tavares probably wants to get out. Therefore, when is the best time to enter a negotiation over Nuno Tavares? Well, common sense tells us and logic tells us that the best time is towards the back end of the window, where Arsenal's desire to get him out the door increases, where Arsenal's need to get him out the door increases, and where his desire as a football player to get out of there and go elsewhere to play his football increases too. So when you get to the back end of the window, you you end up being in this pressure cooker of, of need and of desperation as the selling club. And buying clubs will capitalise on that. And will feel like they can get a better deal as a result and as a consequence of that. So when it comes to selling, you're often going to see the majority of that, unless they're really sought after players, happening at the end of a window. That's not something I'm saying to defend Arsenal. That's a genuine, you know, sort of pattern that we've seen in football over the years. So, yeah, I'm not massively stressed about it now, uh, but I do think it is something we're going to need to do during this window for sure. Uh, what else have we got in the chat box? Um, the Italian Stallion says, um, would you take Wilfred Nonto for 15 million? Who has had a breakout season for the Azzurri. He's a versatile player, can play at centre forward, right wing and left wing. I'm not sure um, about Wilfred Nonto. At times I look at him and I think he's a real prospect and a, a really exciting player. And at times I think he's just chaos. And some some people like that. You know, sometimes that could be useful. Um, maybe when you're trying to break a team down, you need someone to come on and bring a little bit of chaos and a little bit of carnage to just mix things up a little bit. But for me, um, I'm not sure I'd be taking a punt on him. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I'd be taking a punt on on Wilfred Nonto uh, at this moment in time. But that doesn't mean he isn't a good player and, and won't go on uh, to be a good player. Um, so EFM says, what's your starting 11 with our new players? And are you sticking... Uh, with the same formation. I'm not going to answer that now, not because I don't want to, but just because I, A, I haven't thought about it and B, I want to do a specific episode on our lineup. But I want to do that a little bit later on in the window when we have a clearer picture with regards to what Arsenal have at their disposal, what they have available to them uh, and all the rest of it. But it's a good thing to start thinking about because there are a lot of questions now. You know, if Urian Timber comes in, which we're expecting an announcement on imminently, where does he fit? Does he come straight into the starting 11, maybe at right back? Is Ben White returning to a central defensive role from next season? Where does Declan Rice play as a six or as an eight? Uh, where does Kai Havertz play? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to think about and there's a lot to work out. So I'm going to do that in an episode a little bit later on. So I'm not going to answer that now, but thank you for the question because it is a really good one. I'm not swerving it, I promise you. This is something that I had noted down. Um, as an episode that I want to do um, in the coming weeks. Uh, big hello to Gaz, who says, uh, Hi, Harry, glad to be catching you live going to work in Omaha. Big shout out uh, to you, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Westbird says, um, Harry, in your humble uh, opinion, does Arteta need to improve on going into the season? Uh, what does Arteta need to improve on? Uh, that will give us the best chance of being successful and competitive again. I think tactically, uh, on a couple of occasions last season, I thought it was a little bit slow to react. Um, I thought it was a little bit slow to react. And 
What I mean by that is that you could see situations unfolding and maybe Mikel Arteta, either he didn't see it, which I, I don't think is the case because I think he's smart enough and intelligent enough to spot things like that, but maybe felt that the players that he had out on the pitch at that time could find a solution. And unfortunately, they couldn't. And a change was needed. And that change just seemed to come um, a little bit too late for me. But yeah, um, I think tactically, uh, in-game management is the thing. But having said that, I think his in-game management last season was much better than the season before. And so I think he is moving in the right direction in that sense. And I think we've also got to remember that we talk about young players and the fact that young players will make mistakes and that young players need to develop certain things over time and, and only experiences are going to mold them and shape them. It's the same with Mikel Arteta. Um, you know, he's relatively new to this job and, and he's learning and developing all the time as well. Uh, Stan the man says, how do you stop stuff sticking to a barbecue grill? Any tips, Harry? Oh, um, make sure the grill's nice and hot, I guess. Uh, always put the grill on before you put the meat on it, I would say. That's what I do anyway. Just let it heat up and then uh, drop the meat on it afterwards. But you just got to keep flipping it regularly, I guess, so that it doesn't um, get stuck. I tend to use skewers and a motor, um, as you may have seen. Lots of people were, were hitting me up about uh, my Twitter post the other day, rather than the grill so much. But um, yeah, if you keep turning it, then it shouldn't stick. And and if you stay on top of it while the grill's hot as well, um, from the beginning, you should be all right. I know this is a football podcast, but hey, why not talk about barbecues as well? It's the summary. Uh, right. I think I'm going to leave it there, guys. Uh, we've been going for uh, coming up to an hour. Um, we will be back if anything breaks uh, later on today. If it doesn't, then we'll be back tomorrow with another episode uh, of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Remember, uh, leave a like. Uh, on the video. If you haven't done so already, uh, subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new as well as we continue on that journey, as I keep saying, towards the 30,000 mark. Uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, Chronicles uh, underscore AFC. Give me a follow at Harry Simiu as well. Uh, you know the you know the drill by now. If you're listening on audio, leave us a review as well. Um, Matt says, Harry, why are you cooking your own food? If you're on the Arsenal payroll, why don't you have a private chef? You're absolutely right, mate. I should have a private chef. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to them about that. In fact, I'm gonna send an email to Mr. Cronky right now. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll see you all soon. Until next time, uh, take care of yourselves and enjoy your Tuesday. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.